Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets Antenna Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have our first summer edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Now, I know what some of you listeners might be thinking. Alex, the college tennis season ends in May. How could you possibly have summer editions of The Deciding Point? Well, listeners, I'm glad you asked. Why do we feel the need to bring the deciding point to the summer this year? It's because throughout the course of the summer months, throughout the course of the fall months as well, you see so many players with college tennis ties competing across the pro circuit. And to be honest, for a casual fan who has other obligations, who has a day job, who has school to attend, or who has just a smorgasbord of other things to do in their daily lives, it is down right impossible to follow all of the results all of these college players are putting up across the globe. So we thought we'd make it a little easier here at Crack Rackets. As we know, that's our job. We thought we'd shine a spotlight on the best of the best college tennis results we see week in, week out throughout the course of the summer here on our Great Shot podcast feed. Thus, we have brought the deciding point into the summer, and thus we have our first summer edition of the deciding point. Now, quick housekeeping note, we're going to try to record this podcast every Sunday night. We'll try to have it for you available every Monday on the Great Shot podcast feed so you all will have the scene set. You'll know what you need to watch, where your favorite players are playing throughout the course of the globe. We're excited to bring the deciding point to this summer, and I am extraordinarily excited to bring this man onto our summer deciding point episodes as well. As simply put, it would be impossible to do this job Han Solo. That is why I am eternally grateful that this man decided to join us throughout the course of the summer and decided to join us, what, a year and a half, two years ago as part of our Crack Rackets team. Of course, you all know him best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Racket shows, co-host of the deciding point throughout the course of the preseason, throughout the course of the season, and now throughout the course of the summer as well. Of course, he stays busy in his free time. Not only does he have a full-time day job, but he also founded the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, which has been firing on all cylinders this summer. I won't lie, I was a little jealous, so I figured, hey, let me try and dragoon him onto another show so that we can keep rocking and rolling. It's our dear friend, John Jay Parsons, joining us once again. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. You thought you had a few months free of me. You do not, my friend. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. You know, I never went to summer school, so I guess this is my version <laughs> of it, but you are right. You reached out to me at the perfect time. I was about to hop on the mic and figured what a better, uh, no better way to do that than join you and to discuss all of this together because it is a part-time, almost full-time job keeping track of all these results in the summer. I don't know how coaches do it, but there's a lot of action across the globe, across time zones. So, uh, of course, I think the two of us should be able to handle most of it, but I'm sure there's some things we'll miss. And so people can let us know in the DMs and in the comments. Absolutely. Tennis journalism is like having seven part-time jobs. You got to follow the ATP. You got to follow the WTA. You got to follow the challengers. You got to follow the ITFs. You got to follow college. You got to follow juniors, at least if you want to do this job well in my opinion. And so, yeah, that's part of the fun. And that's why I'm eternally grateful to have you here. I will say for an academically inclined fellow like yourself, I'm surprised a summer semester in college or, you know, for me, and the reason I bring this up 
it was right now. You had to take electives in high school, and my parents wanted us to get those electives out of the way so we had more room for perhaps AP curriculum. I took speech class summer after my freshman year going into sophomore year of high school. The reason I bring that up, it's a transcendent moment, one I'll never forget, middle of speech class, which it's condensed schedule, so they're three-hour-long classes every morning. What is going on and has all of us distracted for three days in that summer? Isner versus Mahout. And so I'll never forget <laughs> taking speech class going into my sophomore year of high school. I'm surprised you know, you know, again, a lot of these college players are both traveling, but then their home bases are still college. They come back, they take a few credits, knock them out. I'm surprised you never did it. I was a big internship guy. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was spending my time, you know, with the internships and less about the the summer school. <laughs> It's a great answer. I like that. You know, by the way, I have to start adding that to the introduction now, internship <laughs> guy, because that's just, that's outstanding. Um, yeah, well, as always, it's a pleasure to have you here on this show. And again, what we want to do today is talk about all the pros having success across the pro circuit. Now, we're not going to rehash everything we've seen through the first three weeks. We're going to take it on a week-by-week basis. So we're going to start with all the action that happened last week, what, the 18th through the 24th, technically, on the professional calendar. But before we do that, this is a deciding point. We do talk about college tennis news, and we had a whopper of a headline drop last week as what started as a rumor and had been floating around circles, certainly something you and I had both heard and discussions had been had off mic, but now we can have them on mic. It's official. Adam Steinberg, who helped lead Michigan, dare I say, to heights it hadn't been since the late 1980s when players like Goldberg and Washington and Nagel were walking through those doors after back-to-back NCAA quarterfinals, after winning the Big Ten tournament in 2022, after reaching the national indoor semifinals this past season, Adam Steinberg is leaving Michigan. He will be headed to the University of Florida. He has taken the men's tennis job. Of course, that job opens up after Brian Shelton announces he is leaving to go coach his son, Ben, full-time on the pro circuit. It was also announced today, and this is a big piece. Associate head coach Matt Clore, who had been rumored to be looking elsewhere, no longer. He has been retained. He will be coming back to Gainesville in terms of trying to keep some continuity, keep the roster together. That is a massive thing for this Florida men's tennis program. Look, obviously, I have a reaction, but I'll open it up to you first, Jay. Your thoughts on the hire, your reaction to all of it. Well, I was surprised when I first heard that Adam Steinberg's name was in the mix of this conversation. I think maybe I was biased towards other Southeastern type coaches, potentially a Josh Goffey of South Carolina, who's done a tremendous job building that program. So I was surprised to hear it. You know, he's not a Florida guy necessarily in Adam Steinberg. He's a more of a Northeast Midwest guy who had a little, you know, jaunt out in Pepperdine in California sabbatical. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so I was surprised and, um, I mean, I think it's a great hire, right? I mean, Florida, you know, to bring in a NCAA winning coach is certainly something that they expect now that they have won their first NCAA team title. You talked about what Steinberg has done in building Michigan back up to be a premier program. Now we can talk about what he has left at that program that he is now leaving a trend we start to see with these coaches as they leave for other schools. They leave like a wake of mess uh, behind them. It it seems to be a trend, but overall, I think it's a great uh, move for college tennis. I think it's great to see another top tier coach in the SEC. I expect we will see a really intense battle for the coaching role at Michigan now. So the dominoes are not over from falling as part of this carousel. It's very well said. And look, Florida is I've had this conversation. It's something we want to do this summer at Cracked Rackets. What are the best jobs? Who are the best coaches? And both the Florida men's tennis job and Adam Steinberg are firmly ensconced in both of those conversations. Florida recruits itself. You have the national campus in Orlando. You have maybe, you know, with California, one of the two deepest states in the country as recruiting grounds and 
we saw what they did in 2021. You're absolutely right. There's there's no doubt what this Florida men's tennis program is capable of achieving at its highest potential, and you can understand the appeal of that. I also know personally Coach Steinberg's family is, I believe, in the Atlanta area. I know his wife's family is in the Florida area as well. At this stage of life, those things matter to Adam Steinberg, who maybe doesn't want to deal with winter anymore. Like, again, you can make those sorts of, I get that sort of being in that place of life and, you know, again, riding out what was such a dramatic and such a heavily invested nine-year cycle at Michigan. And, you know, again, let's be clear, as emotional as Coach Steinberg's teams are, he puts it all out on the court as well. He leaves it all out there, is fully invested. And, you know, obviously I'm personally biased. First and foremost, I'm going to go on a rant here. I apologize, Jay. I'm immensely grateful. I could argue this show would not exist without Adam Steinberg and Sean Mamie, a name we'll get back to in a moment, uh, embracing me and saying, who are you? Why You keep coming to our matches and you kind of get what's going on here. I want to learn more about you. And you know, sparking that interest in a 20-year-old kid turns into what this is today. And obviously when your home school is succeeding on all cylinders. It only adds to my enthusiasm. And yes, I say I'm not biased, but I went to Michigan. Of course, there will always be some sort of rooting interest in my heart. I'm immensely grateful to Adam for tolerating my nonsense, for embracing all we do here at Crack Rackets, for putting Michigan men's tennis in the conversation as not the elite of the elite, but in the national title conversation these past two years, which as a program is all you can ask for. As it relates to the Florida job, Josh Goffey is the number one candidate for every job. He was a candidate, obviously, at Clemson, where he played earlier this year. He was clearly a candidate for Florida, but South Carolina gave him the bag and said, no, we want to retain you. We want to keep you. We just built this indoor facility. We don't want to lose our superstar head coach. By the way, a well-deserved raise for Josh Goffey. And, you know, again, Given who the AD is at Florida, it became well known that Pear Nilsson, who the AD hired at Mississippi State, was absolutely a candidate, uh, the Pepperdine women's coach for the Florida men's job. And I kind of love that outside-the-box thinking. I don't think, you know, again, the reason I bring that up is Coach Steinberg gets the Florida job. Now there's the Michigan opening. It's a fascinating opening. And it's, you know, again— There are three dominoes left, in my opinion, Jay. There's this Michigan men's tennis head coaching job. Whenever Manny Diaz retires and he just got a contract extension, and by the way, I'm not not pushing Manny out the door. Stay as long as you like, Coach Diaz. We love you. Um, But when Manny opens, I know Jamie Hunt's in a position, but everyone will try to get their foot in the job at Georgia. The other big one, of course, win Billy Martin, if he inevitably does step down, that UCLA domino. There are really just three big dominoes left because Bruce got the Texas job in 19. He's not going anywhere. Shelton just left Florida, and now Steiny's there. He's got a long runway. Macy is in his first five years at USC, and Andreas is in his first 10 years at Virginia. It's just, you know, all the big dominoes have seen coaching changes, it feels like, in the past decade. Michigan does its change now. Again, I think Georgia, UCLA are the, the final two big dominoes down the road. The candidate, you know, again, everyone's getting their foot in the door. And I'll ask you before I give my list, who, in terms of this Michigan job, I said we were going to be ruthlessly efficient. This Michigan tangent is going to throw us off the bat here early, but welcome to the summer deciding point. What, are, what would you be targeting? Who are names you have in mind? Well, I will first say that this carousel this year has certainly been the most dynamic and the longest, right? I mean, now we're talking about a Michigan team that just made the NCAA Elite Eight back-to-back years. They're without a head coach, right, in a very critical time period for that program. We don't normally see that, right? And pending who they hire, you could see another program without a head coach into the fall. I think there are two names for me that if I'm Michigan, I'm circling. The first is I'm calling backup assistant coach Benjamin Becker and saying, are you sure you want to leave? You don't want to come back around. There is precedent for this. You'll recall that coach Steinberg left Michigan for Arizona State, turned right back around, went to Michigan, what, 10 days later? 
So there's precedent for that on the Michigan three, side. But yes, <laughs> maybe it was okay. Three days later, it's been a little longer than that for Coach Becker, but uh, I think you call him back up. And the coach that I think is a strong possibility for Michigan is Tony Bresky of Wake Forest. And the reason I say that is because Michigan brought in an NCAA winning coach in Adam Steinberg. You look at the NCAA winning coaches that are on the board right now, assuming Michigan holds itself to a similar standard. Why not call up Tony Bresky, who I think is the one that is maybe most agreeable to moving at this point right now. I've heard the name floated. It would be a fascinating interview. It would be a fascinating transition because obviously, you know, again, Michigan likes to hire internal. They like to get their Michigan men who they think fit this hypothetical Michigan culture. And I'm not saying that's critical or not, but uh, I'm not saying that critically. But they haven't done that, right? I mean, Steinberg and Becker, neither are Michigan men. Well, Steinberg is the big hire there, but Adam Steinberg fits Michigan to a T. I mean... Just the, the the culture, the energy, everything, you know, the positivity. That's everything Michigan tries to present itself as. And I'm not saying that's not Tony. I've made this joke before. Should I ever have to propose to someone Tony Bresky is going to engage because no one says no to Tony? It's well, an, he's had his career in similar institutions, right? Both yeah. from an academic caliber standpoint with, you know, Cornell, Virginia, Wake. So he has experience there. I think it's an interesting one. No, it, it's a fascinating name. I think there are a couple of names. You mentioned Becker, of course. And especially if the players back him, then you have to imagine the administration gives him a long look. Sean Mamie was the assistant for Steiny early on. He is a Michigan man through and through. His wife went to Michigan. I think he's going to get a lot of positivity from the player side of things as well, deservedly so. Now, I think the knock on him would be, well, he hasn't made an NCAA tournament yet at Nebraska. Give the man Michigan resources, and I would not bet against Sean Mamie. I think he would firm I think he firmly belongs in the discussion. I think he'll be one of the leading candidates. Couple more names I just want to mention briefly here. Matt Hill, Arizona State. He's from Michigan. I think he's gonna get a lot of buzz. Very good recruiter again. What do you do if he has Michigan resources? I think that's an interesting one. And in that same spirit, three obvious names. Adam Schachterly, Pepperdine. Ryan Keckley, San Diego. Jimmy Bourne, Dame, Middle Tennessee. Now, I think the first two are more likely because, you know, again, Schachterly, Keckley, Midwest guys – They've done it at mid-major programs now for an extended period of time. They both know how to recruit, and if you give them you know, a Michigan to perhaps have a little bit more of a, a runway to recruit Americans, what sort of success can they have? And all that applies to Jimmy as well. I think those are three mid-major head coaches who have had success at their stops and are waiting to take that next step, that Power 5 job, that have to get consideration right away. I promise last two names here. Chris Woodruff's wife's from Tennessee. I think that's just an int- – I don't think Chris Woodruff would ever leave Tennessee because he played there and it's a dream job. But I'm just saying don't be surprised if you start hearing that name floated. The other one that would be fa- – well, it's it's a, it's half-half. Clancy Shields, Arizona, just because, again, Michigan is not Arizona. And what he's done at Arizona, you give him Michigan resources. Who knows what happens? The other one that would be a shot in the dart – but he is the best recruiter right now, in my opinion, in college tennis, is Rich Bonfiglio at Penn. And I know he's only been at Penn for a year. And that's the Tony Bresky course, right? One year somewhere, then you get the big job. He's recruited Tien. He's recruited Zhang. He's recruited Banerjee. You need someone who's going to go into those rooms and say, sorry, the Buckeyes. Like, I'm not afraid to recruit against them, which is, by the way, one of the hardest things to do in all of college tennis right now. Look at the talent they have. Bonfiglio would not be afraid. Again, Matt Gordon's another assistant who's had a lot of success at Kentucky. There's a lot of good candidates out there. I think they're all going to apply, Jay. Well, you gave a lot of love to a lot of people. So uh, um, it's a long list. But that's what I'm trying to say is it's a Michigan job. So this is one of the last dominoes. 
Yeah, I mean, they can all they can all apply, and I'm not saying that some of them won't be on, on the shortlist potentially, but look, Michigan has set a very high bar from a hiring standpoint. They brought in an NCAA winning coach from a non-Power 5 program in Pepperdine, and guess what he didn't do at Michigan? He didn't even get them to the NCAA semifinal, final, or championship. He brought them to the quarterfinal. I think optically and the precedent that this program has set, that anything other than someone who has made deep runs in the NCAA tournament, it does not seem to be their MO. It is a lot of other programs MO who would take a, maybe a younger coach who has started to prove themselves and say, this is our 20, 30 year guy. I don't know if Michigan's going to go that route. You know, the program better, but I think some of the names you mentioned from a resume standpoint, a pale in comparison to what Steinberg was nine, 10 years ago. It's very fair. In that sense, can I throw one outside the box at you? Sure. Do you hire Simon Earnshaw and David Secker if they're willing to come? Uh, I mean, look, I I think anyone should call, anyone looking to hire a coach should call Simon because you should pick his brain at least in the interview process. Couldn't agree more. Uh, it's just you can't deny the success at every stop building a program, what he's done. I just think that would be an interesting candidate, much like Pear was at uh, for the Florida job as well. So all names to put on the list. But yeah, it's the last big domino of the summer, and they have to hire an assistant as well. And we saw Texas just hired Ryan Lipman. Uh, so again, slowly the, carous- uh, the carousel is slowing down, but it's June 25th, and there is still a seat wide open up in Ann Arbor. That said, all right. Let's talk results from the past week on the ITF Pro Circuit, on the WTA ATP Tours. And before we do, I'm curious because there are so many results across so many different tour-level events. What was your criteria, Jay, as you looked for people to stood out throughout the course of the week? Well, typically the bar I will hold for myself when tweeting about something or or publicizing it is – is there a first time angle to this story? And what I mean by that is this, is this the first time a player has maybe won a pro event? Is this the first time they're making X round at certain event? Um, those sort of things catch my eye more than winning the same level tournament that you've maybe won once or twice before. So you'll typically find me looking for some sort of angle in that regard. So that's what I try and um, cling to that applies for even the lowest of these professional events, at the 15 K level, all the way up to the WTA and the ATP level. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think outside firsts are huge. I think if you make a quarterfinal at the tour level, I don't care how many times you've done it. You have my attention. I think if it's an outsized performance, you've upped a level. You know, you go from 25Ks, you've won a t- couple of titles. Now you're into a quarterfinal of a 60K or 100K. Those sorts of things matter because obviously the tour is scaled. So the higher level the event, the more points you are offered. I think it's a fair angle. You look for firsts and... You know, again, a lot of these draws, for instance, we're covering the USTA SoCal Pro Circuit on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. It's an ITA regional half the time. Like, it's just a lot of players. Now, it's a really good ITA regional. It's the best of the best at just about from every school across the country. But, yeah, you definitely look for outsized success. You look for something perhaps you haven't seen from a player before or you know, again, if they're young in their career and they're having continued success, much like a Ben Shelton on the Challenger Tour last year, you start to think to yourself, all right, maybe this player's not coming back to college. Maybe they are ready to get life started on the pro circuit. With that said, let's break it down, Jay. I've got all the events from the past week on my screen. That's right, folks. I took a deep dive and I've got my list of headlines, but I want to start with yours. Who are the firsts, the people who stood out most to you from the past week? Let's go one by one. All right. And we're sorry on the women's side or yes, we please. just women's. Please. Okay. Um, <clears throat> all right. So in scope for this, we said is anyone who has played college tennis yeah. at any level, the player that stood out for me, uh, one on the women's side was Emma Navarro, the 2021 NCAA singles champion from Virginia. She made the finals of the 100K in Ilkey. The reason this stood out for me was because 
this was the first time she has made a final on grass. All of her titles have been on clay. And so I wasn't sure how her game style would translate to grass. She makes the final there. It would have been tied for her largest title. She lost in the final there. And she is now up to a career high of 60 after this performance. Yeah, I think she has to be on the list. And she's 32 and 12 overall in the year. It's not playing a list of 25Ks. Now, she has had a couple of 25Ks on her schedule, and it's worth noting she won one. She quarterfinaled another. She wins 100K in Charleston on clay. She wins a 60K in Charlottesville on clay. And I do think this is a two-part equation because the fact that, you know, we talked so much about Shelton, who did it in six months, remarkably impressive. But for both Emma Navarro and Peyton Stearns, who were playing college tennis 13 months ago, today for both of them to be inside not the top 100 inside the top 75 of the WTA rankings in a year and where they're having success you know it's a Bogota final on red clay for Peyton Stearns it's a 100k final on grass for Emma Navarro they're not just good college tennis players. They're f***ing good at tennis. That's what these results show me. And I agree. You make it the final at 100K on a grass court, just given maybe Emma Navarro being who she is, had the opportunity to play a few more grass court matches than others growing up. But Because uh, she would have played Junior Wimbledon, right? And she would have gone and maybe played Roehampton and that wave of ITF. That's what I mean by that in, in that sense is she got to play those junior events. But, I mean, yeah, like – she beat everyone. And, you know, again, what? She didn't drop a set, I don't think, until she got to the final. And, you know, again, to to play a tough match versus Miriam Bjorklund, uh, four and five in that final. You mentioned it up to 60 in the world. I agree. Top line result number one. I had her on my list. Now, I believe Alonia Balsovo was a former college tennis player as well. She made the quarterfinals here. That's your other most notable college result, I would say, from that 100K event. So we can move on to the next one if, if you'd like, Jay. Who's your next top line? All right. Well, Unless, yeah, was... by the way, you have any follow-up. I didn't mean to erase your Navarro Stearns response. No, I was just going to say, Emma Navarro, this was her first pro tournament on grass, three tournaments in the juniors. One did include Junior Got Wimbledon in 2019. Cool. Yeah. No, I mean, again, 32 and 12 speaks for itself. That's ridiculous at any level. And it's June 25th. We still got at least four months to go. All right. Top line result number two. Who you got? Well, I'll go with this one because I know you'll get um, (laughs) some critique if you bring her up. So I'll bring up. Uh, I'll bring up Fiona Crawley playing in the 25K in Wichita. She makes the final there. And the reason why this is interesting to me is one, because Fiona Crawley, despite being the number one player for the entire 2023 college tennis season, she doesn't play a lot of pro tennis. In fact, prior to this, she'd only played two pro tournaments in the last two years. So this was her first 25K in four years. She makes the final there. And also a great demonstration of just the level that college tennis is at for we talk about Emma and Peyton to go on to be in the top 100 for Fiona to waltz from coaching camp at UNC last week to making the final of the 25k is a testament to the level of college tennis yeah absolutely and you know again she talked about focusing on the pros this summer and giving it a go and seeing what it's like and I recently had a cracked interviews conversation with Jacob Brum who to, it was I, I was asking him, talk to me about the level at these events, how it compares to college. And he goes, Alex, you saw the NCAA tournament. That's a challenger event. And, you know, on the women's side, what, that's the equivalent of a 60K, a 100K event, somewhere in between there. And, you know, Crawley's the best of the best in college. And so at the 25K level, it's not surprising to see her have success right away. But, yeah, to beat Brantmeyer, to beat Leahy, to beat Kessler, these are all top dogs in the college universe who are just out. And yeah, she's into the final in her first event. Knocked out, by the way, by former Washington standout Stacey Fung. Fung's won three pro events this year, and she's currently sitting 259 uh, in the rankings coming into the week. I assume she'll hit a new career high after winning this 25K event. It feels like six spots obtainable after winning a 25K. Like it Again, 
college players ever. They, why 25Ks and all these stateside events. Just listen. You know, Kessler versus Grace Min. Kessler at Florida. Leahy Crawley. Pepperdine, UNC. Gabriella Lee did not. Yeah, uh, no. Texas Tech. Texas, thank Tabala. you. I was like, yeah, yeah. I think so. Now uh, Gabriella Lee. Yeah, versus Rashida McAdoo, Stacey Fung, Veronica Mira. Ma- McAdoo, Georgia Tech. Yeah, and Veronica Mira Schnichenko. Yeah, LMU. LMU. This is why I needed to have him on. I thought, again, these are, I have inclinations. I don't want to be wrong, <laughs> but it's seven for eight in the quarterfinals. Like, this is what it's all about. And, you know, again, Crawley works her way through the field. She reaches the singles final, knocked out by Stacey Fung. Um, who won the doubles? Was it Brantmeyer? Brantmeyer yeah, and Maria Mateus, a little UNC Duke combination there. That is a ruthless duo, and I'll tell you what, Brant Meyer, as good as she is in singles, top 100 in doubles for the duration of her pro career. Lock that take in right now. All right, that's top line number two in what was a really fun Wichita event. I'm still in top line number three because I just think it has to be one of the stories of the summer. Fong Ron Tien. She's 14-1 and one now overall on the USTA SoCal Pro Series. And, you know, this is someone who lost two dual matches from the start of the dual match season in January. So she now has three total losses since that start. You know, 30-plus wins. She's played three SoCal Pro Series events. She's won two singles titles. She's made three singles finals. She's won two doubles titles. We called that match here at Crack Rackets. It's a different sport, what she's doing and what everyone else is doing. All due respect to Jessica Sola. All due respect to her teammate, Kimmy Hans, who, by the way, quietly has made a couple of semifinals. Uh, and now that she's healthy, just clearly playing better tennis. But, man, Fang Tian will not be at the 15K level for long. I will be shocked if we enter the year and she's not inside the top 400 come January 2024. And... I think she has to be on serious. Will she, won't she come back alert, Jay, because it's just so easy. Yeah, I mean, she, drop a set. <laughs> she hasn't dropped many sets uh, at all in this in this 30 plus, you know, wins she's had since January. I think the challenge for her is going to be that you know, the 15 Ks are helpful from a confidence perspective to get some points on the board, but they don't give you a ton of points, right? You look at her, she's still right around the 800 range, despite this insane record. She also won a 15 K last fall. There aren't a ton of opportunities. She's going home to China now for, I think the duration of the summer, she'll probably maybe come back in the fall once UCLA starts, but they're on the quarter system. That will be a September a ton of bigger opportunities for her to get points on the board. So that will be something I'm watching for. What events is she able to play? How much is she traveling outside of the Beijing area where she is from? You know, she has a wild card to the China Open on the WTA side. That's a WTA 1000. That is a massive opportunity for her. But yeah, I mean, no signs of slowing down for her. Just the forehand. It's another sport and how well she's moving, how comfortable everything is. It's just, again, when you're having that sort of success, when if you go 14-1 and one in three weeks at any level, college, pros, hello, mom. Sorry, you all had to hear that. College, pros, juniors, club, local, I don't care. It's impressive. Fangran wins, uh, excuse me, Tian wins the singles title, how about Jess Elsola? Like second career final for her. She dropped one set on her way to that final. Gave Taylor Johnson the business in the semis. It's a really good run for her. I already mentioned Kimmy Hans. How about Taylor Johnson, by the way? First single semifinal comes through qualifying to get there. It's, it's a fun event. Any other LA takeaways? You want to give me your next top line? Yeah, I'll go to my next top line. I think we could spend a lot of time talking about these uh, LA events. I mean, shout out to the SoCal uh, pro series, incredible opportunity for a lot of these players. My next player here is a former uh, collegiate alum. It's Astra Sharma of Vanderbilt. Astra Sharma was in the top 100 of the WTA rankings last year, reached a high of 84, has fallen out over the past year and a half, but had some good success this past week at the 40K in Yastad. She makes the finals there and then also wins the doubles title. So good to see her getting some wins back under her belt, uh, you know, on clay, particularly that serve, that forehand bounces up quite high. Uh, so always good to see her uh, getting some form back together. Yeah, uh, I, I think she was certainly uh, excellent this week. 
Yeah, I mean, across the board, you look. I, I do think this was a week where you saw more men in action, maybe more so than the women, just at in the terms of the depth you saw in ITF events across the globe. But you know, again, I think that's a good one to point out. A, a, like any other jump out to you? You got one more big one. I think I know where you're going. Well, we should give a shout out to Mel Riasco, yeah. the rising Georgia junior. She wins her first pro title since starting at Georgia, uh, the 15K in Buenos Aires. Uh, so that's a great uh, result for her. Again, these are players, right? Mel Riasco played number three for Georgia. Now, granted, a team that goes on to the semifinals, but you know she walks right out of Athens and makes not only the final, she wins the event. So again, another great testament to the level. Yeah, uh, well said. I would say the only other thing I would shout out, I know she didn't make the quarters this week, but Amina Beck this quarters last week. She won her first round match this week. She had never won a WTA level match prior to this month. 30 years old, the former University of Michigan All-American had a career high right around 130 in the rankings. She gets another win this past week in Birmingham. Yeah, I, I would say... Certainly the Riasco title deserved a shout out. Alana Smith, semifinals uh, this week as well. And again, she's just getting her pro career underway. So I do think a, se- a pro semifinal, those sorts of things matter. But other than that, I, I think the only other random one I have is DJ Bennett making a quarterfinal at the 25K in Santo Domingo. Any other women's top lines? You ready to move on to the men? Yeah, a good shout out for DJ Bennett. We can move on. You're going to give me one. Who's your most impressive? Is it Navarro? Yeah, I think on grass, I was really surprised to see that. I didn't expect that at all. Yeah, I I think that's a good call. I mean, that's just, again, 60 in the world. Ridiculous and speaks for itself. All right, then. Let's move over. Tons of men's action across the board. Now, just to get this out of the way quickly, it's fun that we're at a place now where, you know, Cam Norrie, as a former collegiate standout number one, makes the quarterfinals of London. And it's like, yeah, whatever, though, because it's Cam freaking Nori. <laughs> or, you know, again, I guess we'll get into Yana Kaufman, I'm sure, at some point in what he's done this summer because it's one of the more miraculous outside or fringe top 100 to inside the top 50 at this point of his career. Ridiculous. And I think he made a round of 16 in Hala. But let's get into it. The nitty, the gritty. Give me your top lines, Jay. Who stood out the most to you? Well, it's so interesting because there are so many men in that, uh, you know, top 100 from the collegiate ranks. It's been hovering around 15 for a while over the past few weeks. Um, I'm going to start in the nitty gritty uh, and I'll give a shout out to two players who won their first uh, pro title at the 15K level. One is Sander Jong of TCU. He beats UVA's uh, uh, Jeffrey von der Schulenberg 0-1 in that final Uh Jong played number four for TCU. Horn Frogs made the semifinals this year. And then JJ Tracy, uh, Ohio State, played number three for them. Uh, the through line there being Jeffrey von der Schulenberg, who JJ Tracy lost to in the NCAA final. Uh, he wins his first pro singles title at the Notre Dame 15K. Yeah, I, I mean, again, two guys who were middle of the lineup, right? Or three guys mm-hmm. who were middle of the lineup in von der Schulenberg, Jong, and Tracy, who are all showing the depth in college tennis right now, that they all can walk onto the pro tight, uh, circuit and win singles titles. And for Tracy, who didn't have the best ending to his 2023 season, it's a really nice start uh, for him. And again, looking across the board, like the quarterfinals, Jong played Ludwig Wistrade of USC. Like, Again, right away, he's right there. And, you know, looking across the board, you mentioned J.J. Tracy, who's obviously in South Bend, so a little bit more American-centric of a draw. But, you know, he plays strong Kirkheimer. That's a former Northwestern guy. You look at the semifinals, Kirkheimer beat Blaze Bicknell, currently at Tennessee. Tracy beats Axel Nev, just finished his Florida career. You had guys like Ryan Fishback of Virginia Tech, Colton Smith of Arizona in the quarterfinals there. You want to see the best of the best in college tennis compete, just pay attention to the pro circuit. They're all in action everywhere. I agree. Those have to be two of the top-line results. I would also throw Adam Walton in that mix. I know Walton's been on the pro tour now for a year, but to be top 250 after one year of pro tennis, again, Ben skewed what's impressive by going from NCAAs to the top 100 in six months. What Walton's done is 
damn near impossible as well. And whether it's challenger success or again, this past week, he beats Ethan Quinn. He beats Nick Chappell uh, on his way to the title at the 25K in Tulsa. I think he's a top line guy for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was surprised to see that this was his first title ties his highest title above the 15k level just because the past few weeks i feel like in the challenger draws he keeps making it deep right it was like quarterfinal semifinal showings in these past few weeks so i mean he's ascended into the top 250 as almost like a mainstay challenger guy in just a year right after making the semifinals of the ncaa singles tournament last year for tennessee absolutely his trajectory is on a really good path right now yeah he's just really really good i don't know how else to describe it not a lot of holes in his game moves extraordinarily well comfortable moving forward you felt like the pathway to challengers was always going to be there, but that he did it so quickly speaks to the fact this is a guy who was ready to grind, who was ready to travel city to city. And, you know, again, impressive stuff from Adam Walton. Impressive stuff from Ethan Quinn, by the way, who won a title last week, quarters this week. Obviously, we're all watching him. Dukes Garrett Johns makes a quarter. Cannon Kingsley into a quarter. Alfredo Perez, the former Florida All-American, he reached the semifinals here this week. It was a really fun draw in Wichita. I mean, before we move on from Wichita, you ooh, mentioned please. Garrett Johns, though. We should give a shout out. Garrett Johns, Ozan Barris of Michigan State, mm-hmm. won both of the 25Ks back to back weeks uh, this week in Tulsa. So that's a Michigan State Duke duo that you maybe didn't see coming, but um, they've been very successful on the doubles side of things this past week. Ozan Barris, former junior U.S. Open champion. So again, shouldn't be a shock to see this sort of double success if you followed him closely over the years. That's why you got to follow all the levels, folks. Um, Yeah, no, definitely worth noting. I appreciate that you did so. I have two more ITF college winners that I would put in this top line category, and then I can rapid fire for you. Um, I just want to throw out there, though. How about at the 25K in, in, I think, Montauban, Val Vachero? 7-6 in the third. He gets the title there. Vacheros quietly, very quietly ascended up the ATP rankings. He's currently sitting at 326 in the world, was top 270 uh, as recently as September of last year. Again, you're in the ballgame. You're getting close to playing slam qualifying. And, you know, I think we saw a guy like Abdullah Shelby he got a wild card, but he won a main draw match. In, uh, excuse me, he won a qualifying match on grass courts uh, this week already. It's just like that's he's in this strike zone of the rankings as well. This is where you want to be, where you're just kind of in the mix. You're in the ball game. And so Vashro's the other guy I wanted to shout out, uh, as well as Omni Kumar in L.A. And there's a lot of L.A. to get to, so I turn the floor back over to you. Any Vashro thoughts? Any L.A. thoughts? No, Vashro is someone that I was expecting to – transitioned well to the yeah. pro circuit given the game the former texas nm player has the weapons. and so it's yeah exactly and just so complete of a player so it's good to see him start to get more success again this can be a three to five year journey for a lot of these players that's why one you mentioned ben shelton totally skewing the expectations but also why the atp accelerator program which will be discussing over the next few weeks is so important for these players to not have to grind it out at the 15k or the 25k level because not only are those those points so valuable but the prize money is so valuable this would have accelerated so many players transitions to the pro circuit yeah very well said well then let's move over to la omni kumar didn't spend a ton of time at duke but gets a shout the 21 year old wins his Fifth title of his career, first not in Monastir, Tunisia. He knocks out Quinn Van de Castile, the Oregon Duck, who reached his first pro singles final, wins over Destanich, Segerman to get to the final. You have a couple of guys just beginning their pro careers in the semis in Ryan Segerman and Alafiani. Tons of college ties everywhere with Jonas Zeverts, Kremela Loft, Destanich, all in quarters. Again, This USTA SoCal Pro Circuit is a breeding ground for college players looking to get some pro tennis run. Thoughts on everything that happened in L.A.? Yeah, I think Van Castile was the surprise run. I I, I look at the— He's got weapons, man. The serve beforehand are good. 
Yeah, and he could continue to get better uh, over these next few years as he hones those weapons. I was looking at the draws for the this upcoming week yeah. SoCal Pro event. He's qualifying. Maybe he'll get into the main draw, but yeah, he needs to build that ranking a little bit more, and these opportunities are a great way to do that. But a really good run for him. Um, yeah, I was I was impressed by him this week. Yeah, well said. Well, then, um, you know, again, shout out Eduardo Nava, who, by the way, in the photo Westhoff use looks just like Will Blumberg. Like they might he Blumberg might be a fourth Nava brother uh, worth noting for everyone. Um, but him and Napon with take the doubles title in L.A. All right. Can I rapid fire from here the rest of the results and then we can get to the week ahead? Sure. All right. Let's I was going to say you don't have any other top liners. No. All right. Henry Garoka. Beats Pedro Vivez in the finals at a 25K in Mungia. Oliver Crawford in the quarterfinals of that event. Alex Martinez in the quarterfinals of that event as well. It was a fun event in Santo Domingo. Draxel knocked out 7-6 in the third. You had Stice. You had Van Emberg. You had Lapidot all reaching quarterfinals or better in singles there. And again, I apologize if I'm missing any other players uh, who have college tennis ties across the board. You mentioned Chris Rodesh. He made a final uh, this week in Romania. Adrian Boyten making a semifi- uh, semifinals, yes, at that event as well. Fons von Sambik making the semifinals uh, in Israel. Duarte Valle, Daniel Kukerman each making quarterfinals or further as well. Trey Hildebrand in a quarterfinal there. Uh, what else do we have? We had a Mitsui quarterfinal uh, as well. Luca Wiendemann reached a quarterfinal. I saw Timo Stotter in a quarterfinal as well. And I was like, there's a name I haven't heard in a little bit of time. Isaac Bacroft reached a semifinal this week. A lot of good results. Zambor Veltz into a quarterfinal. Shout out to Big Z, the Baylor Rising sophomore. Again, a lot of good results across the ITF pro circuit from the college guys. Again, pro circuit, Yana Kaufman got a win in London. Nori into a quarterfinal. Nakashima, I suppose, and Shelton each got wins in London as well. But, you know, nothing too notable at the ATP level. Nothing too notable at the challenger level as well. Looking across the board, who's my... Oh, Timo Stouter, that's what it was. He made the semifinals of the Poznan Challenger. That's where it was like, whoa, Timo, way to go. And so shout out to the former Vol uh, for that result. I would say that was your most significant challenger result uh, on the ATP level. But with that said, that's everything that happened this past week. Jay, we've got Wimbledon qualifying this week. Let's start there as we look the week ahead. Who's competing with college ties? What should we be looking forward to? Oh, man. Uh, okay, let's bring up the Wimbledon qualifying draws. Do you have it on you? Right I do now? have it open in front of me for what okay. it's worth. So, again, looking through the draw you've got, and I'm, I, they don't have the women's draw published yet, which is a discussion for another time. Um, but Emilio Gomez... He's in the draw. Let's see how many I missed, Jay. You can go through it, too. You've got Emilio Gomez. You've got Brandon Holt in the draw. You've got wildcard Johannes Monday in the draw. I know you've got wildcard Toby Samuel Samuel. is in the draw somewhere as well. You've got Gabe Diallo. He's the 29th seed in this draw, quietly ascending the rankings. Charlie Broom, the last college player on the men's side in the draw. He gets the wildcard. He's steadily been ascending up the rankings as well. That's the college players in Wimbledon qualies. Jay will fill in the blank in case I missed anyone. But outside of that, where, where are the college guys competing? What else are you watching for? Well, it's a little bit of a quieter week on the ITF side. So there are no 25Ks in the U.S. So we have a few events that I know uh, p- people are playing in outside of the U.S. I know that there is the 25K in Belgium. I think Chris Rodesh is in that. You have the, the 25K in Dominican Republic. You mentioned Liam Draxel. He'll stay there as well as a few of the players who played that as a 15K this past week. Uh, you talked about the loaded SoCal events in uh, the SoCal Pro Series. They're in Irvine for the 15K this week. So those are some of the events that I am watching as we build up to the ATP Challenger events hitting the U.S. the week after that, the week of July 4th. Absolutely. I will be at the first in Bloomfield Hills. Looking forward to it. And yeah, in this Irvine draw, Omni Kumar, Alfredo Perez, Gage Brimer, Stefan Destanish, Karima Loff, Lerner Tien, Josh Goodger, Jacob Brum, Johnny Ross, incoming Stanford freshman Nico Godzik. 
It's a great draw in Irvine. We'll have coverage of Championship Weekend Saturday, Sunday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. What's going on on the women's side, Jay? Lay it out for me. Well, we stay in Santa Domingo in the Dominican Republic, where you have players like DJ Bennett, you mentioned of Auburn, Carolyn Ansari of Auburn. We also have 25Ks in France and Italy. Haven't had a chance to go through those entry lists. 15K in uh, Irvine as well will still be loaded with all of the players we've seen in action, like an Aaron Cayetano of USC, former Cal alum Haley Giovara, Stanford commit Catherine Hugh. So it's going to be. A little bit of a quieter week, but some of these events are really jam-packed. Yeah, well, we chose a quiet week to get this pod rocking and rolling, folks. Um, Or actually, it was a jam-packed week last week, so it just felt like it was a necessity. We'd fall too far behind, but yeah, there it is, your first episode, uh, the summer edition of The Deciding Point. Hopefully, you feel well-equipped to discuss the Michigan job, but also well-equipped on everything else happening across the pro circuit as it relates to these college players. That said, Jay, any final thoughts, any things you want to tell us that's cooking at no ad, no problem, because the amount of texts I've gotten, I, I'm not going to say what coach, but there is a specific coach who I know will listen to this pod and know I'm talking about either he or she who went out of their way to say, Hey, did you hear Jay's NCAA pod? It was exceptional. And that's just, you know, that's the most recent person to say, you know, that conversation was yesterday. Um, and so Jay, I know you're killing it. What you got for us? Well, that coach should text me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you get enough texts now. I got to keep some. Well, they can give me that feedback. It's always it's welcome. Fair. Yeah. I mean, recently I had a conversation with former Florida associate head coach, Tanner Stump, kind of went behind the scenes of June 15th, which is the first time that coaches can reach out to rising juniors and understand a little bit how that conversation works, what happens next. Uh, He has a recruiting showcase August 1st that he's looking forward to and planning for. So that was a really good conversation. Got a lot of good feedback about that. We'll continue with some player interviews coming up, have a few good ones coming out uh, these next few weeks. You can go and follow on no ad, no problem, wherever you listen to podcasts. I love to hear it. Well, of course, sincerely, folks, if you aren't already, follow at JTweetsTennis on Twitter, Instagram, no ad, no problem, blog, podcast, all available. We appreciate all you do, and we appreciate you joining me here on these summer editions of The Deciding Point. A shout-out to you, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the editing job he does day in, day out, making all this content possible. And for what it's worth, it's going to be a busy week. Wimbledon preview content coming. Mini breaks coming as well. I'm really hoping to make a cracked interviews push this week. I'm going to send some desperate texts and call in the favors because – it's time for us to land a top 50 pro. It's been too long. And <laughs> I mean, I'll just say it. I'm going to ask Yannick really nicely. Let's just say the DMs have been exchanged. And I'm just going to be like, hey, man, I know we <laughs> we don't talk that often, but will you please come on the show? Um, and so honestly, nicest guy I imagine he's going to say yes. I'm hoping we'll have a Yannick Kaufman for you. And you know there's nothing I enjoy more than relitigating that 2014 season, which to me remains – Honestly, the most interesting season of the past decade, um, but on the men's side at least. But we can have that conversation a different time. Like, I mean, do you want to have it now, Jay? Or can we have <laughs> no. it a different time? Uh, I think that's a conversation for a different. All right, day. then we'll leave that there for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer Daniel Westoff, and everyone who contributes here at Cracked Rackets. I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.